You're listening to Asians Represent, a series on the OneShot Podcast Network. I'm your host, Daniel Kwan, and this episode is brought to you by our amazing supporters on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash aznsrepresent for exclusive content, show notes, and more. I don't know how to shoot the breeze the way that Daniel does, so let's get into it. Um... Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of um, Asians Represent. Uh, this is uh, episode... Well, uh, it's the second episode in our Fantasy Asia series. Uh, and this time, we're focusing on Korea, which is super exciting. I'm, I'm Agatha. Uh, I don't know if y'all still remember me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I'm one of the co-hosts. And uh, this is uh, an episode that we're doing. Um, it's just, it's uh, a nice and intimate episode between me and our special guest, uh, Michelle, who we'll, we'll get into more intro later. But um, this is super exciting because I think this is a very interesting series and we are definitely going to mine a lot of gold um, out of it today. So um, let's let's get to it. Like, Michelle, who are you and why are you so awesome? <laughs> I don't think I could answer that question. I can answer um. the second part for you. Don't worry. <laughs> Hi, I'm Michelle. Um it is raining here. It's storming real bad outside. So if you hear rumbling, um, that is a storm happening. Sorry, podcasters. Sorry, f- sorry for all the weird audio. Um, I am a an RPG designer. I guess I have published some things. I'm also a freelance writer. Um, I have a Pathfinder Society scenario coming out in September called Necessary Introductions. Um, I am also a writer on Howl of the Wild, which was announced for next year and for the Pathfinder Adventure Path um, Season of Ghosts, which is a very spooky, spooky time set in Shenmen, which is like a super haunted part of Tianjia and um, it's going to be great. Um, I hope some of the things I wrote um, kill your players, maybe? Yeah. Did you say kill? Kill your players? What? I mean, that's what I wrote them for. <laughs> that was <What>? my job. <laughs> to ki- wait, to kill the characters, right? Oh, sure. <laughs> wow. Wowee. Um, but in addition to that, there's also... Isn't there also a game that you're working on outside of Pathfinder? Yes. That is very um, relevant to <laughs> Yes, Yes, the main reason why I I got asked to be on here today is because um, I'm working on a setting supplement for the game Good Society, a Jane Austen RPG um, called Chosun Society that is for playing games of Good Society that are set in the Chosun Dynasty of Korea, which is um, a huge expansive era and um, just has a lot of information and facts about culture and, um, you know, recommendations on like how to play in certain like parts of that history, what life was like, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not an expert. I'm not an academic. I'm just a dweeb. So please like, don't be like, oh, like, don't be like citing me or anything. Like, 
No, I got everything from books and things that I read, like, obsessively. I'm not an academic of any kind. I love that you're like, don't cite me. And then the thunder in the background is like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's so tense. It's backing um, me up. It understands I'm yeah. not an academic. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But I read it, and it's very, very good. Uh, very detailed, but not, like overly so everything can be relevant for playing a game about like uh social dynamics and um trying to find your way in a restrictive society uh, or a society with like restrictive um or like strict hierarchies and like very specific social expectations but let's kind of circle back to like uh your pathfinder um writing experience so i mean like what has been your experience writing like table for tabletop role-playing games like how did you even start okay so i um i haven't actually been playing tabletop rpgs for i mean it's like long but it's not long compared to a lot of people right like i've been playing for about six years at this point um and gosh, I think I'm just really like, I really like mechanics. I'm really like into those weeds. Like, I mean, you know, cause we played together. I'm a big min maxer. I love like, I really, I really want the mechanics to come into my play. So I'm always like thinking about that stuff. And then um, like through that, I just started writing my own like weird little games on and like publishing them like very tiny weird little things but um after that i i was just always interested i always liked writing um it was my best sat score (laughs) um oh nice (laughs) yeah it's like the one thing i'm good at in life um and then uh james case who is one of the senior developers um paizo he actually posted a um a link to a Twitter post that he had made. He posted it in the Asians Represent server and it was like, hey, any like Asian writers out there, if you want to write for Pathfinder, like hit me up. And so I did. And that led me here. And it's been a really good journey. It's been really great so far. Yeah, you've... Oh, I muted myself. Yeah, you worked on like a lot of things. Um, So... We, we applaud a hustler. Um, and like, what kind of stuff did you write? Um, so out of the things that have been announced and I'm allowed to talk about a tiny bit, um, I, so the Pathfinder Society scenario, that's like a whole adventure. So, you know, that takes... The players from A to B and there's combat there's like little things you got to get done um and then for season of ghosts and how the wild for both of those I mostly did creature design so yeah um how the wild one of my creatures did get previewed at PaizoCon no was it PaizoCon I don't remember it got previewed on something maybe it was PaizoCon my brain um but it's um if you look it up it's called the mammoth land star it's a giant uh starfish 
that um, lives on land and eats people. It's so scary. I saw it. I was like, yeah. I'm horrified. This is amazing. Yeah, I had a great time writing it, and I hope it gives you all nightmares about starfish, because starfish, if they were bigger, um, we'd all be dead. It's true. Starfish are terrifying. They're horrifying. Sea creatures are just, creatures are just so scary in you know, general. Because they, they basically, like, shoot out their stomach, and they start, like, digesting through like shells so they can like get to the soft stuff inside and i read that i was like i must use this somehow (laughs) jeez yeah nature is scary (laughs) a big theme on a lot of asian strep episodes actually (laughs) i thought about it so like what what's your approach to writing for these different projects because like there, there are guidelines and asks, right, that they have. And then so then how do you uh, put things that you want to include? I guess like the the stomach <laughs> of that, the, the digestive li- liquids of um, starfish and stuff like that. But like what how do you go about it? I'm so I am the kind of person I do really well with structure. Like I flourished in school because everything was a routine. <laughs> like I'm the, I'm the kind of person who like if I'm on the streets, I'm done. But if like, you know, I did something bad and I'm in prison, I would be a model prisoner. I would just be like following the routine so well. School is like prison, you know, it's the same thing. I did great in school. How we do great in prison. Um, so but yeah. high end, low whiz. Is that what this means? <laughs> I, I, I just do really well when there are guidelines for me, when there is a set right. structure and like, um, so like the more structure there is, the happier I am. I'm just like, yes, tell me what to do. Um, But then, yeah, but then there's always kind of that freedom to put your own stuff in it. So um, the starfish one, that one, they were straight up like, we need a man-eating starfish on land. And I was like, hell yeah. So that one, you know, just a lot of starfish research. Um, For for Season of Ghosts, that one was interesting because Shen Men, the nation that the adventure takes place in, it's not it's not based or like it's not directly inspired by any specific real life country. Um, okay. Like it has little bits of inspiration from places, but it's mostly like like its main inspiration is horror, like Asian horror, like tropes and themes, things like that. So oh, that's like so cool. Yeah. And so um, we were specifically in the outline, it was specifically mentioned, like, you know, we're we're not planning to directly pull from specific, like, lo- like real-life folklore or myths, but, like, like, certainly you can take inspiration, but, like, you know, we're not, like, because there are some creatures in, like, you know, D&D and Pathfinder and stuff that are directly, like, plucked from those mythological um, inspirations, and, like, we weren't going for that. So it was interesting because... Um, so I looked up a lot of like Asian horror themes and stuff like that. Um, I did look up a lot of monsters just to see, you know, what kind of themes. There's a lot of faceless ghosts in Asia. Um, I don't like it. I don't know why so many Asian countries decided ghosts shouldn't have faces, but that's just a thing, I guess. <laughs> and yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like I, oh, man, I, 
NDAs. Like there is one thing where I'm like, I did specifically get inspired by this thing that I feel like is a running theme in in like in Asian folklore in like multiple countries. But those those creatures haven't been announced, so I can't talk about it. <laughs> well, I guess I guess we'll just need to have you on again <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> more things make, but, make someone okay, run so, it for the podcast i want to play yeah yeah maybe you can run it i don't know <laughs> oh i don't know i'm scared i mean yeah maybe we could get someone to run it i've um, written for pathfinder much more than i've actually played pathfinder that's so funny <laughs> that's <laughs> what a power move <laughs> instead of playing what if i just wrote <laughs> material for other people to play with okay so i i i do want to talk about chosen society because i that's a huge part of what we're going to be drawing from right like for today's discussion because that is your main area of expertise uh which is in uh the chosen dynasty specifically like you know for if we're talking about fantasy asia right i mean sorry fantasy korea um it that's where kind of your knowledge base is from is that is that correct yeah yeah yeah. like you know i look i know little bits about other eras because of like korean dramas and like wikipedia but like yeah choson is the only dynasty like i've done actual research and like read things i read books for this agatha yeah yeah and so like um, so why, well, I guess, yeah, why did you want to write it? Or, like, what what were you hoping to, to write? Uh, like, what kind of game did you want out of, like, Chosen Society specifically? Okay, so we can go for, like, the short answer, or we could go into the deeply into Michelle's psychology answer. <laughs> Which one do you want? Uh, give me the psychology. Let's. let's okay, great. Dive. So when I was young in like elementary school, I became a little weirdo who became obsessed with Korea because um, there were not a lot of East Asian kids in my school. Like, um, like we're pretty diverse, but like the other Asians were mostly um, South Southeast Asian. And so, like, I guess there just weren't a lot of, like, um, like, Korean kids and, like, Chinese kids. And, um, like, kids would always, I, it was always at lunchtime for some reason, kids would always ask me if I was Chinese. And I would always be like, no, I'm Korean. And, you know, we're in elementary school, it's the 90s, they don't know what a Korea is. (laughs) And so I became, like, upset with research in Korea so I could explain to these other children <laughs> what it means like where is Korea what is a what's the difference like so I was like this little like freak like I knew what the flags were and everything I love that I love that so much yeah, so but that, ever since then like... you're like I hold this knowledge yeah so that's just now like... I'm playing this game yeah, that just permeated into my brain. And then, um, I guess, playing TTRPGs, like, you know, there comes a point where I think if you're if you're a POC, 
there comes a point where it kind of like, you know, I've been playing with a lot of white people and a lot of my characters have been white so far. I mean, maybe you are, maybe you're smarter than me and made your character not immediately white like I did. But No, um, that's so relatable. Yeah, yeah. Like, I definitely yeah. did that. Yeah, that's my instinct. And then I'm like, hmm, I want Asians, but I feel a little awkward creating an Asian character in this like blatantly like fantasy Europe. I guess I'll make my own Asia. So I I did try to do that. It was literally like a one-to-one like Joseon fantasy. Like it was not good. Like I I had I had a Word document with like currency like going through. Oh, so there's oh, that's like so like that's I was like, like picking the first out how iteration currency of, worked. Oh. Like wow. it was it was not good. Like this was not playable, okay? Like trying to teach my players how to use this currency would have been madness. <laughs> but that was <laughs> what I was doing. And then, you mm-hmm. know, fast forward eventually. I'm playing Good Society obsessively. I love it. I love um being a rebellious young lady who is who hates the patriarchy, et cetera, et cetera, trying to get married to someone. Um, and then I kept thinking like, you know, you could do this in a Korean drama. I love historical Korean dramas. And so much of the stuff in like culturally with Regency era, it's like, you know, obviously it's not one-to-one, very different, like, like Joseon, much stricter gender roles and like separation of the sexes but like the the focus on marriage on money on like using marriage to like climb socially like there's a lot of similarities and I was just like I could use this I could do that why not and so I did and why not I say as I continue to work on art and layout oh every indie designer is a struggle at least that's my big struggle i am i don't have an eye for design or just artistic like i just can't do it so everything i'm like this this is really ugly but i don't know how to fix it (laughs) so i feel you but but just something society is so good though and it's like and this kind of like the perfect way for us to like start thinking about what if fantasy asia but specifically inspired by korea um like so let's see i i kind of like this series is kind of about like what people could include if they want to like set their fantasy setting in uh or no if they want to have create a fantasy world that is inspired by like various parts um, of Asia and specifically Korea. So like, I guess like how, how would you go about it in terms of like um, what kind of things to include like, like details or things like that? What do you think? I think social structure is like one of the first things you got to look at. Right. I mean, just in world building in general, even if you're not basing on a real culture, like social structure, social hierarchy, the way things move, like everyone's life depends on that. And like, and then if you are basing on a real culture, like 
it's going to be different from time to time. Things change, things move. So, like, um, you know, Shilla, things were much different than Koryo. Koryo, things were different from Choson. Like, Koryo was a lot more, um, like, gender dynamics-wise. It was much more equal compared to Choson. Like, women could get divorced. Um, like, people just having premarital sex was not a big deal apparently so this is like the different dynasties yeah yeah like yeah while like in shilla like royals um they had a thing called the bone rank system so royals were the uh, i think it's the sacred bone and then like depending on like your noble line you'd have like a different type of bone you were And, like, sacred bones, I think, could only marry sacred bones. So, you know, very incestuous for obvious reasons. But then, like, you know, that system didn't work out for (laughs) kind of obvious reasons. Like, eventually you run out of other royals in your bloodline to marry. So, yeah. But, yeah, interesting stuff. Um, For me, my favorite cultural little thing, (laughs) we've talked about this. I've read and read about this, is marriage (laughs) customs. I freaking love marriage customs. Yeah, like, how you ask someone to marry you is such a huge thing. And, like, not just that, but, like, the process of getting married. Because, like, you know, and sometimes the moment you're engaged, you're basically considered a married couple, while others, it's like, no, it's not until you spend the night together, then you're, like, actually a couple. Like, you know, it's a a huge process, but, like... For me, like marriage customs, I feel like it just defines everything. But yeah. So, like, what kind of marriage customs are we talking about? Yeah. So in um, so in Chos- so Chosun had like a huge, very extensive process that um, I believe was the marriage rights were based on um Confucian rights. So it was pretty similar to what was going on in China at the time, at least um in at least, like, when it was the Ming Dynasty. Um, right. So that was, like, you know, it was a huge process, and, like, they they would, like, get their for- the fortunes of the couple to make sure that they matched up and it would be an auspicious marriage, and they would, like, pick out what is, like, a good day for them to get married. And, like, you know, the moms of the houses are sending spies to the other families to, like, check on them, make sure it's a good match. Stuff like that. But like for me, like it's it's um so when when you become of age, which was um younger for girls and older for boys, because um patriarchy, blah blah blah, you know, um your hair would go up. When you're a kid, everyone had their hair in like little braids, but then like once you became of age, your hair would go up in a bun and you were officially an adult. But then at some point, the bun for girls, it became associated with being married. So if you had a hairpin and a bun up, that basically meant you were a married woman. So um, at at some point, it's kind of nebulous when like even unmarried, like young women who were considered adults, they would have the braid because they were unmarried. Um, So like you'll see this in Korean dramas, like a man will, like, give a woman a hairpin. That's him saying, yo, I want to marry you. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, it's 
I love that the symbol came from like, or the item as a symbol came from that kind of like tradition. That that makes so much sense. Yeah. I I want you to put your hair up. Gasp, gasp. But like, okay, so like that's super interesting. Uh, in terms of like, uh world building in items um so i was just thinking about like i think that's a very interesting thing to like have a list of like symbolic items um like if you're doing um again like you're setting your fantasy world um uh, not setting it you're inspired by korea or like let's say chosen dynasty specifically then you can have like a list of items that have specific symbolic meanings uh, for like player characters to choose from, and then each one will like have very specific uh, meanings. Like for example, if there's a hairpin um, that one a character has, like it could be the a hairpin that they were never able to give out, or it could be a hairpin that they received, but like, but then and then you can look at their hair is like oh, but their hair is still down. Like what's up with that? Like that all of this can like immediately build so much backstory just based on like these details right but you were also i remember when we were chatting um off uh off the recording you were also talking about rings so rings is also a thing right yes so single woman wore one ring and that was just a fashion item married woman um you would give them two rings so one is worn by the woman one is worn by her husband and then when her husband dies, she would wear his ring. So a widow would have two rings and that symbolized her loyalty to him. Okay. So, but yeah, like, so, so giving happens- a woman a pair of rings is also, yo, I want to marry you. But so why, why would, like, if, if I was a man and I was giving someone a pair, I just, now I'm like, oh, I need to know. <laughs> like, why would I give them two rings instead of just one and keeping one for myself? It's because um, like they did wear a single ring. So like if you just give one, like it's kind of just a present is what I'm is what I'm thinking oh, is probably it. Like you give the two to show like this me and you, this is me and, and you. And I guess you don't start wearing it until you're actually like you've been through all of the ceremony it, and stuff. I believe so. I'm not a hundred on that. Like, mm-hmm. let me look at my document. <laughs> Let me see if I have it in here. My freakishly <laughs> long. does it mean? <laughs> Gosh, it's how many pages is this thing? Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> so you're can. looking up your, uh, is this your chosen uh, society, like, reference doc? Yeah. <laughs> it's so long. Um, okay, it, it does yeah. not say, but if I remember correctly, once... Once a couple got to a certain stage of their engagement, they were basically considered married. So there's actually okay, a got it. there's actually a Korean drama that came out recently. Um, oh gosh, what was it called? It's called like Flower Scholar. Like it's about like this girl who runs a boarding the secret romantic guest house so this girl like runs a boarding house um and there's all these you know handsome men and blah 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 stuff happening but there's a lot of political stuff happening in the background and there's this one plot point where um spoilers for this show i'm trying to keep it vague so you don't know who i'm talking about but there (laughs) is there is a character who she was engaged to a man who died 
and oh. um, he died before they got married. But his dad okay. is a his dad who is currently alive is a bad guy, and he was like, she should die and join him since she's right. basically his wife. And so they right. have to like hide this woman from him because he he's like we should kill her to so she can prove her fidelity like right yeah wild stuff yeah it it's an okay yeah. drama if you want to watch it it's okay <laughs> <laughs> a lukewarm recommendation it's, it's fun it's fun the the side characters are kind of better that like honestly the secondary OTP is much better than the than the primary couple. But I feel like that often happens for me when I watch true. drama. It's just that yeah. I don't know why. Um, I guess, I don't know. They're not like beholden to plot, I guess, like the main plot. <laughs> or like you're you're just like so emotionally invested in the main like pairing that like if it's not exactly, if it's not like perfect, then it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of unsatisfying. I don't know. But like, so like what other kind of items? Like, I guess... I mean, if this is, like, um, a fighty game, then, like, probably weapons, like, cool weapons that we can draw from. Yeah, it's interesting because um, in, in like, again, I'm going to bring up Korean dramas a lot. <laughs> but, like, in dramas, you know, you'll see, like, people with swords and stuff like that a lot. But um, from my research, I couldn't find exact dates and things. But, like, it, it looks like swords were illegal at certain points in history. Like, you know, you couldn't just carry them around unless you were a high-ranking military officer. And swords were not a popular weapon because steel in Korea at the time was not very good quality. Like, to the point where when they fought with um, Japanese invaders during the Injun War, like, they would take Japanese swords because they were much better quality than theirs. And they, Like, even if they were broken, they would use them as like basically as a short sword or a knife. And so like people couldn't really be carrying around like real weapons. Like soldiers had um had like pole arms mostly and bow and arrow like Korea is still like king at archery in the Olympics right. and like it's, it's that's where that history is from because you know it's a mountainous area like you can't really go around fighting people with swords. It's not strategic. So there's a lot of like cavalry and stuff like that. And, um, but, um, but there's a lot of like interesting history about things that became improvised weapons. So, um, fans were a huge fashion item, but apparently I could not find a lot of like sources to really confirm this is true or not. But it's too cool, so I included it anyway. But they're apparently uh-huh. fighting fans. They're made of like petrified wood, so you could just like <laughs> smack people. And like these fans, people would build like knives into them or put like pouches to like hide poison powder and like blow it out at people. And then there was also um once men became of age, you had to have an identity tag. So it was basically a, um, it was like a wooden, well, not always wooden, but it was like this long, um, like kind of a stick kind of thing. And it would say your name and your hometown, basically, or maybe it was your, one, maybe it was your family line, but, um, and 
like the material would be different based on your social status. So like certain types of right. wood or like ivory. And like the only people who did not have it were basically like royals. Were the only men right. who did not have this. But um, there came to be a martial art based on beating people up using these identity tags. And like <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a full on martial art. I think it's called Hupe. Let me Google it real quick. That's so amazing. It's like, can I check your ID, please? Yes. Ugh, check that. <laughs> no. But, yeah. Okay, Google is not being helpful. I think it's either Hupe or Hope. It might be Hope. Okay. But yeah, yeah, that is really interesting. It's like, basically, like, modern day, like, your social security number, that kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except... And it's, like, in a physical form, which makes sense, because, like, there's no database to draw from, mm -hmm. so, or online database. And, and this was important because this was also how you were identified for military conscription. So a lot of times people would forge, forge them with, like, false information so they wouldn't get conscripted into the military. Oh, so is it, it would be, like, only people of a certain, like... Oh, yeah, Class, I guess. Who yeah, because um, only commoners could be conscripted, basically. If you were if you were uh, like um, slaves were not conscripted, they were exempt from military service and taxes. Um, and then nobles like the middle nobles and the high up nobles were also exempt. So if you were if you were a farmer, you were just screwed. Life life was right. bad for you. Right. Right, so this is also, like, it could be a very interesting thing as, like, an item that a character could have, um, like, all the different ID, I mean, identification um, tags. Um, it can be, like, is this, like, in that list of items, one could be, like, identification tag, and then another one could be identification tag false. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, and also the material, fun. like... The yeah, material like instantly differentiates what social status you are. Yeah. So yeah, and it's kind of like in a and like guess clothing would as well. Mm -hmm. Um like oh, in a sure. lot of like societies with strong social stratification. Like the materials and stuff. Like that's also very interesting to have like in your world building, like the kind of clothing that you can wear or cannot wear. Um and then if you're making like a fantasy kind of homebrew setting um, or just setting material in general, then you can denote like what kind of material um, has magic or does not have magic. And then like, oh, and then tie that into like class and like who is allowed to use what kind of magic just based on this thing that you're drawing from, like the real life um, laws um, and norms. So that's. I guess you we talked you mentioned very briefly slaves and I guess this is a thing that maybe we should like talk about as well like social stratification was it was a huge part of Choson society and that also included like slaves um, so like if someone were to create um, a setting that's a fantasy Korea like do do you feel like like this aspect of say like uh, Choson um, society should be included. I don't 
think it has to be. Like, I think you can acknowledge, you know, parts, like, acknowledge that these things happened and make consciously decide not to enjoy that in something that's supposed to be a fun recreational activity. But um, it's, man, it's, it's something I really struggled with for Chosun Society. Like, I was really torn about whether to even include slavery or not, because, like, slavery did not end in Chosun basically until the dynasty ended. Like, and it was really because of, like, outside pressure and you know, because of social norms kind of slowly changing, it was becoming a bit more unpopular. But like, slavery was just around for so long, and it was so integrated. And it wasn't, it wasn't exactly chattel slavery, the way we might think about it in the West, you know, it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't the type of slavery that you saw in like the Americas and in Europe, but, you know, people were still property. They could be sold like they didn't have agency. And um, it's not, a you know, it's it's an unpleasant topic. It's not something we really like to think about. And like, I think um, some people that is an aspect that they'll be interested in exploring and maybe fighting against. Like, you know, there are like there were a lot of like basically like scholars and people who had like strong abolitionist policies. There were like social um, like philosophies that were against slavery, especially when um, Christianity came into Chosun. Like Christianity, one of the one of the big reasons people freaked out and were like trying to wipe them out and like get rid of them fast as possible is because um there was this concept that all people are equal and that did not jive with the social class of you know the king is at top and then like it kind of trickles down like we all have our place and so and so like christianity actually became really popular with the lower classes for obvious reasons with that and um but yeah i don't think you have to incorporate slavery or keep it um but i think like i think if you're like really trying to draw from history like i mean it existed it was there it's it's something you gotta at least think about and like if you're publishing something like i think you should definitely have a cultural consultant and like discuss with them because i mean i think you could definitely make a something kind of like you know your fantasy like AU version of Chosun that does not have slavery, like Chosun without slavery, like a fantasy version, I can imagine that happening. But I don't know. I guess like it depends on how much like you want historicity. Am I making sense? Am I just rambling? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I completely agree with you in that like having an acknowledgement is oh, oh, I'm so sorry. My cat just um, <laughs> I'm so sorry for it. It actually just my cat just uh pressed the full screen button, and uh, every now on camera just uh became a little funky for a sec. But anyway, uh, it's fine. It's disappeared now. Um, had all our notes on it. I don't know if it actually fully appeared. Anyway, um, I think, I think yeah, having an acknowledgement is kind of it should be done. 
Um, and I also kind of feel like when it's d- kind of more delving into the darker side or like, yeah, the more problematic parts um, of a culture's history, I-, I feel like it's my opinion is that it's still better if it is um, an own voices kind mm-hmm. of creation that does that yeah. versus like someone else like oh, from a different yeah. culture yeah for sure i would be very uncomfortable if like ugh. yeah so and i think that's important to um to distinguish uh is that i don't think everyone should do it um but if it's like if you are like this is my culture and i want to like really discuss like the things that are not um that that have um that are not good you know um that are morally um questionable then then yes go for it and um get higher <laughs> a cultural consultant or a sensitivity uh, reader as well, like you did, um, for just on society. Um, (laughs) yeah, but if it's someone else, then maybe don't, unless you're also like impacted by it, right? Like your history, it has been like negatively impacted by this specific thing. Then that also makes sense. I think own voices that is, that is like, yes, go for it. Um, but then otherwise, I would say no, um, but I think it is still a good idea to like acknowledge uh, that it's in there, just in your text somewhere. If this is something that you want to publish, um, it also might be interesting to bring up to the table. Um, if this is just like you know, like a homebrew thing, because like sometimes not talking about it is erasure, and that also is not always, um, not always great. I mean. I know, like, you know, this is a hobby, and we're here to have fun, and, like, you don't need to be, like, I'm not saying everyone needs to be holding themselves to, like, the highest standards um, of, like, you know, morality or whatever, but, it like, if this is something that you're interested in, then I think, though, these aspects are also important to keep yeah. in mind. Uh, yeah, because, like, we are, you know, ultimately... When you're world building, you are kind of cherry picking things that interest you and that you want to like be inspired by. But like you don't want to make it feel like you're glorifying a culture and like kind of skipping over. I mean, every every culture, every nation, no matter what, they have their they have their skeletons like it's going to be there. But like, you know, we can't just pretend they aren't there. Yeah. Yeah, I think acknowledgement is important. And, um, but like, let's, um, I guess speaking of like the the fun, (laughs) (laughs) speaking of having fun, um, like, uh, let's, let's go back into like the fun and like, representative aspects to include like if we were to do like like top hits of like uh what you think that people should include in their uh homebrew setting or their um fantasy korean setting like what kind of things okay we know marriage customs is high on the list we know yes we know i want to see those hairpins <laughs> the hairpins the rings and all that um 
and identity tags um yes. which i i love identity tags i yeah i use them in my homebrew D game like and nice. so the players they became basically kind of like secret fbi agents i guess you could say so they had like government Whoa. authority to to like help investigate certain things but then like right. you know who do you trust with this info so they had two different ids that they could like right. hop out so yeah, that was very fun. I feel like it's so relatable. Um, like that's one of the things that is very relatable in like modern day because we're always talking about uh, identity theft <laughs> and things like yeah, that. Yeah, identity theft was a thing for sure. Like there's um, because so so like nobles they kept um these books called books called Poguan that are basically like a log of like your lineage of like everyone and like knowing your poem was super important because this is like you know this is your identity this is your legacy etc cetera, etc cetera. like um but i but like false ones were so rampant by like oh, i want to say like 17th century something like that i have the actual thing in my document but i'm not gonna look at it now because i don't like looking off screen so much <laughs> but like yeah like it was a huge thing like people would buy one ones where like um the lineage had died out or like it was disgraced and they would just write their name in and like oh look i'm also an aristocrat i'm a noble <laughs> stop texting yeah, me it and it makes sense because there's so much incentive to do that. I mean, of course, I'm sure there are also like really harsh punishments, but like, um, but humans are having like we tend to gamble and think that what if I'm the exception? And like, yeah, like the taxation and like like being able to even like get a government position, all that and. Just like the whole like quality of life is so, yeah. it makes such drastic jumps based. Oh on, yeah, it's, it's just uh, such a huge difference. And like life as a commoner was brutal. Like you're the only one paying taxes, and like your taxes are coming out of your produce. So like there are stories about farmers straight up just destroying all their crops so they wouldn't have to deal with the taxes because the tax burden was so heavy. Like. Like, they were just having such a bad time. Like, people were starving until, um, like, until farming techniques improved. And, like, also, um, I think in, like, 16th or 15th century, like, potatoes, sweet potatoes, like, more drought-resistant crops were introduced. And so they were, you know, now they could actually have more stuff to eat during the winter. Like, before then, people were eating, like, tree bark to survive. It was bad. It was yeah. bad. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I could, I feel like this transition is a little callous, but like these are also very interesting, like adventure hooks. <laughs> you know, people dying of starvation. <laughs> but, like, it's kind of true, right? Like, this is the kind of thing that you can also draw inspiration from. Like, um, you know what I think is oh. a great adventure hook? So, in, yeah, um, oh, gosh. I can't remember where it, I think it was um on like one of the holidays um people would commoners they would try to steal dirt 
from like a nobleman's house, like a rich man's house, because it was like if you had it, like it was supposed to like improve your own fortunes. I think that would be such a fun heist. Like you're just literally just trying to steal dirt from their house, like break in and like while all these celebrations are going on. Right. Yeah, it could also be like I feel like this is a very classic one. It's like you were asked by like um, like a noble person to go in and investigate uh, why like this specific area, like all of the like all the crops seem to just keep failing, and there's yeah. like and they're not paying their taxes. And then you go there, and then you find out what's happening. And then yeah, yeah, because uh, like, like geomancy just, is a huge thing at the time. Yes. Let's talk about geomancy because I think this is like the coolest thing to talk about if you want to talk about like uh, magic in a non-Western kind of setting and specifically drawing from like in this case Korea and like East Asia-esque. Yeah. So geomancy. Yeah. Geomancy, um, the main version of it in Choson was, let me scroll, let me scroll. Uh, was Pungsu, which is the Korean version of... Oh, I can never say it right, Agatha. I can say it. Yes. <laughs> Pungsu. Yes, Pungsu. I can never say it right for some reason. Um, but it, it's basically the Korean version. And um, it was crucial to, like, honestly, everything. Like, the energy, the flow of energy in the land, like, dictated where villages were to where graves were placed um and like fortune telling in general divination was just a science at the time and it was huge like um you know it was it was a vital component of deciding if a marriage was compatible or not what day to get married like it was so geomancy um geomancy comes up in korean dramas and movies um i was telling you about the um, there's a really good Korean drama called Posam, B-O-S-S-A-M, Steal the Fate, where um, this person is supposedly dead. They are not dead. The bad guys are trying to um, kill them off for real to make their ruse complete. Um, but they have pretended this person died. And the king knows. The king knows what's up and is like, hey, I've been having all these like terrible nightmares I think we should move their grave. I think their grave is in a bad place and we need to move it so they can be put to rest. And the bad guys are like, wait, are you accusing us of putting their grave in like a bad spot? And like, it's just this, they have this argument because if that grave gets dug up, they screwed. So it's just so interesting. And yeah, like people fighting over like spots with good energy, like there's just so much juice. Yeah, and like there, I've I've read so many uh, like um, kind of like horror stories or like ho- stories with horror in them oh. that have to do with like when uh, yeah when bodies are like buried in the wrong place mm-hmm. or it's like there's like a combination where like it does seem like this is like a good place where with like good energies, but then like people like shifted certain like stones or mm-hmm. um, different aspects, and then it suddenly became like the worst. And then, um, and then you create zombies. No, <laughs> so, yeah, they're they're like rituals that villages would do, where like if um if an area had like bad energy, there were like rituals to basically supplement that energy and like cancel it out, like. It's really interesting stuff. But there's also, um, I just remembered, there's this old urban legend, apparently, about, like, 
during Japanese colonialism, or I think it was during colonialism. Um, but like, there's basically this urban legend that um, these Japanese like military soldiers strategically drove these iron spikes into mountains to disrupt the feng shui of the land and like bring like you know bad juju basically yeah yeah um so so yeah geomancy definitely important um there's also um i realized i didn't bring it up when we're talking off um off recording but um korea also has a lot of indigenous folklore and um like shamanism is um is a big thing it's like it's a very old tradition it's called buism um and shamans are called mudang um this like if you wanted to include this out you definitely need a cultural consultant for sure because it is something that people still practice and um it's yeah, but like it's really fascinating, and there, like shamanism does come up in a lot of great Korean dramas, like Revenant. Right now, it's so good, and there's also The Guest. Um, they're both on Netflix. They're they both have extremely hot people as the main characters, and they're like um, yeah, but like shamanism and like evil spirits feature heavily in these two dramas. Like if you can stand being scared for your life at night like watch these shows they're both so good but um oh and there's also um the cursed um this one i personally think is not as good as the other two it's a little slow but it's it's it i think it gets a little deeper into like actual shamanism and like talking about evil spirits and like it's really interesting stuff and it's also really scary it's really scary guys but um yeah, shamanism. Um, sorry, I'm only talking about like shamanism in a scary context because they use it a lot in these horror movies. I promise, like, <laughs> it's really interesting stuff if you look it up. They like like shamans um were looked down on pretty harshly during Chosun because um like if if it wasn't Confucianism, it was like no thank you. But um but you know you can't just like magically tell people to forget all their old beliefs and stuff so like people still heavily believed in spirits and things like that and like shamans were still hired for um like rituals and rites and like to appease spirits and like speak to spirits and things like that so um yeah shamanism very important part of folklore and and um just like culture really because like a lot of the a lot of holiday customs were all like rooted in shamanism right right oh that's super cool and i guess we would probably also need to include aspects of confucianism since that basically (laughs) informed all or like huge parts of like the social structure and customs and like power the way that power is distributed yeah like like some things you know my beloved hairpin that is that comes from like a fashion thing so that that you know that isn't tied directly to like a certain social structure it's like this was the fashion at the time and it became the symbol but then um like there are certain other things that 
that are more much more strongly tied into Confucianism. So, um, you know, your game might not have Confucianism. Confucius was not born in your game, in your fantasy game. But, um, you know, that kind of hierarchy, some of those values like filial piety, 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 um, things like that, like those might be important or like, you know, king kind of being number one, like they're then they're an example for you to look up to. And if they're not being a good example, like, well, the heavens might come after them. Like that might be a thing like, um, for example, uh, there were these silver knives called Changdo, Unjangdo, um, and they were mostly a fashion item. They were very expensive and they were like inlaid with like gemstones. They had very intricate designs. Like um, there's this one particular area, um, this one province that was like especially known for making like really intricate ones. And um, they were like a huge, huge for commerce with China at the time. But um, and so like for a long time, it was just a fashion accessory and there was you could like build stuff into it. Like people would have ones that had like foldable chopsticks that came out and like, you know, little accessories that were built in. Like ladies had ones with like little sewing kits in them and stuff. But then after the Imjin War and um, and like all these invasions happened, um, unfortunately, as happens in life, um, a lot of women were taken captive and in Confucianism, um, like a wife had to be fully devoted to her husband, like only her husband, like, and you know, if she had relations with someone else, um, regardless of whether it was her choice or not, like she was basically dishonored. It, it was like bad. And so, you know, there was this like kind of crisis cause you know, like they couldn't know for sure if like these women came back pure, um, so the knife, it became a symbol of chastity for women and it would get passed down from woman to daughter. And it was basically a, wo- a weapon to protect yourself from, um, to protect yourself and your chastity so you could save yourself for your husband. Sorry, that got yeah. dark. That's super depressing. But yeah. like also, yeah, also a part of life. Probably not an aspect that most people would want to include yeah i would not recommend you include that in your game (laughs) like you're you're gonna make people really sad yeah but like so many other aspects of uh confucianism too like um like the whole filial uh, piety thing it has also to do with like um your body right and this is Mm -hmm. why uh like you're not allowed to cut your hair because yeah. you're like everything is a gift from your parents and so and you're not supposed to harm any yeah, aspect actually, of it actually like earrings were really popular in previous dynasties like if you see paintings and stuff you see like a lot of big earrings like even men wore them it was the fashion but then when it gets to Choson, earrings basically disappear and like women only wore them for special occasions right yeah, and then uh, I remember we were talking um, about uh, Kingdom. Yeah, you were talking about Kingdom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I love watching reactor videos, and like these people would be watching Kingdom, and like um, the re- the reactors are were pretty much all Western, so I can watch in English, you know, <laughs> and they're all like 
they all get so frustrated when people refuse to burn the bodies or don't want to destroy the bodies. They're like, no, they're zombies. They're monsters. You got to get rid of the bodies. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, it's they don't realize like it's because they don't realize there's that cultural context of we cannot destroy these bodies. That'd be such a sin against like these people and their parents. Like it's just such a no, no, like. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's just like really this really interesting abhorrent. disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, so like there's there's this Korean drama back in the day. It was not good, but it was funny. It was called Rooftop Prince. Um, This prince. Rooftop and, Prince. Yeah. <laughs> have you watched it? I did. Yeah. <laughs> For those who have not watched it, there's this prince and his like three bodyguards. They get time like jumped to the present and, you know, they're just walking around with their beautiful, luxurious hair. But they realize at a point, like, you know, men in this time, they don't wear their hair like this. We got to cut our hair. And, like, they're sitting in the barber chair and they're all, like, crying hysterically. And this is a comedy, so we're allowed to laugh at them. But, like, one of them, he, like, gets out of the chair. He's like, no, I'd rather die. Just, like, kill me now. And they're all, like, crying. And it's so freaking funny. But, like, that's that's what it was like. Like, Cutting your hair was a sin. It was just so wrong because you were dishonoring the precious body that your parents gave you. Yeah. So, They're just okay. Bollock. Oh, and I think one more thing that we probably wanted to mention that is great uh, to include uh, are turtle ships, right? Yes! Turtle ships. Turtle ships. If you do not know what a turtle ship is, Please Google it immediately. This was during the Imjin War. Look up General Isun Shin, one of the greatest naval commanders on Earth. Um, they invented a ship that, okay, you have a boat, it has armored plating on top to cover it up so the arrows can't get through. It has a dragon head mast that shoots fire out of it. And they didn't lose a single one of these dang ships. They had like five of them against like a bajillion Japanese like Navy ships. They didn't lose a single one. Isun shit never, ever, ever lost a battle. Truly like the underdog story of of ever is completely insane. It's it's so incredible. But yeah, these ships are amazing. And who doesn't want an armored boat that breathes fire? Yeah, that's super cool. I love that so much. That sh- that should be in everything. Turtle ship. It is should. So cool. It really should. Like, why are you not? Why are we not all building turtle ships? Who needs a regular ship? Like, come on. So let's uh, let's do patron questions. Uh, we had two questions, um, uh, specifically for uh, this topic. So one of them is from Cat, uh, who is uh, one of our patrons and also one of our lovely mods. Thank you so much, Cat. Uh, and the question is, um, what are some unique forces or conditions that would distinguish urban versus rural locations in a homebrew fantasy Korea? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. I think, um, so again, most of my knowledge is based on Choson because that's the only part of Korean history that I actually spent time and read books about. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, so the capital, um, like basically the more important you were, the closer you live to the center. And then it kind of spread out. And then there are all these like countryside, you know, villages and cities where there are like smaller government positions. So I think 
one of the one of the big things that would separate like a more urban and rural location is like who's top dog like what's the highest government position you have there and like how powerful are they actually are other people like checking in on you or does is this person like totally uncontested like how are they actually getting their power is it kind of like oh yeah they just pass it down to their like the son is obviously going to get it next or is it like no they are legit some random guy might pass the civil exam and take this spot somehow right um, and then also like the more you know if you're basing it depending on how like historical you're getting but um i think even if even if you're not specifically basing this on like korean history like the more urban you get the more you're gonna get certain beliefs like the government-led beliefs i think and then the more rural you are you're gonna have more of those traditions and things like that like villages um like villages all had their own like rituals and things like that like there are certain vi- certain villages that would have their own specific festivals they would have their own specific um ways of like dealing with spirits they had their own variations of shamanistic rituals like sh- like shamanism was very different depending on the regions you were in like almost everywhere shamans were mostly women except um I believe it might have been Jeju, where shamans were mostly men. They believed that a female shaman would be, like, bad luck. So, like, you know, even those things, like, so um, you might have, so, like, this area might have certain traditions that are not common to other places. They believe more deeply in, like, certain types of spirits. Um, They might have, like, certain older religious artifacts and things that maybe the government doesn't like because the government's like, hey, this is our current ideology and you should do this. And the village is just like, shh, here's our secret shine. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, And, okay, so the second question is from Daniel, co-host Daniel, um, which is... um, a very Daniel question. If you could pick one creature from Korean mythology, what would it be? I think this question should be classified as torture for making me choose <laughs> one creature. <laughs> like, why? Uh, oh, my cat just opened the door. Um, hello, Macy. Um, gosh, what? What creature? <clears throat> Macy, say hi. If you're a patron, Hi, this is Macy. If you are just on the podcast, Macy is a um, chubby little torty. She's black and gold. She has a little RBF face. Yeah, and she's very annoying. Um, let me see. One creature. You know, I feel like I could be super basic and go with the kumio which is the korean version of the nine-tailed fox that's a popular one like it's really interesting story shapeshifter eats livers um very scary very cool i i think it would make for a great like call of cthulhu or delta green (laughs) monster um yeah i can see that yeah ah I think Imugi are really interesting. I M U G I. They're um so they're like proto dragons. They're basically big serpents, but there's like different myths of like how 
they can do certain things to become a full-fledged dragon. And then Imugi was actually the main bad guy in this current drama, um, Tale of the Nine-Tailed, I think it's called. But, like, basically, he's, like... And that one had a lot of, like, interesting little mythology things. Um, it's okay. It's fun. Um, sorry, I'm very judgy about these dramas. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's... You can... You can say whatever um, you want. And we will... Uh, we'll have the list of uh, the dramas that were mentioned in the show notes. Uh, specifically oh, no. I, for, I, I need to add. I added some stuff. Yeah. I I put some some of them in. Uh, we can we can take a look at it. Uh, but like, yeah. Uh, speaking of Patreon, um, uh, this is uh, the time for us to to shout out our amazing patrons. Uh, this really would not be possible without all of you, uh, with all of your support. Like we we really do appreciate it. Um, let me switch to, whoabam! All right. So um, again. Shout out to our amazing patrons. Um, all of you, amazing. We love you. And all, especially our most honorable sponsors, uh, Metal Weave Games, Valor's Games, uh, Stefan, uh, the most honorable times two, uh, Epic Impulse, Bob C, and Brooke Bright. And then also Michelle. Are you one of the... <laughs> You want to I, no, I, I, I am a patron. I'm not one of the most honorable. I'm in the lower. Not I'm the other the Michelle. Other Michelle. <laughs> I'm the other if, Michelle. If we were to look at the identification tags, <laughs> yours would not be Irene. Is that what we're yeah. No. I'm the non-honorable <laughs> Michelle. Oh, God. <laughs> no, no, we are not. We're not. <laughs> we are not judging our patrons like this everyone is equal we we love all of you um some of you are just the most honorable and some of you are, are simply honorable <laughs> some of you are just rich but but we appreciate all of you um oh and then another thing is uh speaking of like community stuff um the big bad con is coming up um so uh when is it happening again it's in september uh late yeah, september. september and uh i think many of our team is going to be there. Big Bad Con is a convention that is going that happens in San Francisco. Um, so uh, if you want to meet us in person, you should really do that. Um, but yeah, you so... Can, okay. You can come yell at me for Chosen Society not being out yet. Oh yeah, I know. I love how... <laughs> This whole um, this whole episode is just like a huge tease to a game that is not all the out. pressure. <laughs> but but if you're like, um, hey, I want to I want to play test this game, aka my way to get my hands on some game text before it's officially released. People can reach you, right? Yes, uh, you can reach me. I'm on most things. Um, as Miss MYK on Twitter, there's underscores next to them because someone else took it and they haven't been on Twitter since 2018 and I'm at war it's with like them. That. I mean, Twitter is about to implode, I guess, which is a bummer for yeah. me because that's how I communicate with a lot of people. But um, I don't know. I'm on the I'm on the, the Asians represent Discord server. You can hit me up. Yeah, yeah, and also on, on dice.camp, 
Uh, you oh yeah, I'm on Mastodon at Dice Camp. Um, I have an itch.io. Also, you want my uh, weird little games with uh, Miss Myk, which yes. is uh, which is just up below Michelle's face uh, <laughs> on this video. So uh, you should be able to see that. Um, but yeah, I think we're probably going to uh, talk about more. Uh, more stuff. I want to play more Children's Society at some point. So uh, yeah, I get to ran our my the only known play test. There are other people who have the doc. I don't know if they've done anything with them, but Agatha has played the one known play test, and it was a good time. It was very fun. Michelle's character was <laughs> wild. <laughs> Look, look, I had to make sure my honey was number one in the civil exam, okay? And then he wasn't, but it's fine. <laughs> you, yeah. Wait, my character's wild? You kidnapped him. <laughs> <Your Shh>. <laughs> So anyway, everyone, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Asia's Represent for Fantasy Asia uh, Korea episode. Um, I think next time uh, we might be going on a break soon uh, for this season, but um, yeah, stay tuned for whatever comes up next. Uh, we'll see you then. Welcome to Character Creation Cast, a show where we create and discuss characters, the best part of role-playing games, with guests using their favorite systems. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter. And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles. We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the OneShot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com.